This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning. Are you ready for the sermon? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, this is going to be an interesting phenomena this morning. Because as I talk to you, people are going to be coming in late, right? They're going to be tapping their watches going, am I really that late? And uh, so try not to notice, okay? And we will enjoy this together. Welcome back. I hope you had a great week reflecting on the life change that Christ makes possible through His life, His death, and His resurrection. And I know if you're like me, and you were here last week, you, d- you reflected at least a few times during the past week on those cardboard testimonies. Did you? Yeah, that was pretty amazing, wasn't it? And I, as I was thinking about that this week, I was, I was just reminded that the cardboard testimonies really are just kind of the heart and soul of Christianity. And, and in this way, because on the front side of the cardboard was, this is life before Jesus. And when the cardboard was flipped over, this is life after Jesus. What a huge change. And when, when our lives get changed like that, well, we invite other people to come and, and say, hey, you know, they're looking at our lives saying, well, well, what happened to you? Well, Jesus happened to me. That's what happened to me. Yeah, how'd that happen to you? Well, I went to church. You're kidding. Church could do that? Yeah. And you invited them to church, and, and, and there you go. And that happens over and over and over again. That's how God designed the church. So I want to say welcome uh, to those of you who were here for the first time last Sunday. Welcome back. For those of you who have never been here before, welcome for the first time. Let me say a couple of things to get you uh, acclimated on the way in. You should have stopped at the table or been handed one of these. Um, right here it says start here. You can look there. It will tell you a few things about the service. So um, uh, kind of in the same spirit as our educational program, with no child left behind. It's our goal as a church not to leave any adults behind either. And uh, so that'll tell you what to expect as we move on through the service this morning. And uh, I want to talk to you uh, for just a minute. On the inside, you'll see some, some uh, folded sheet of notes, fill-in-the-blank style. I want to encourage you to, to take that out right now and, and begin filling it out. There's another phenomenon that I've noticed about Christians, and um, I'm always reminded of the story of the, of the guy who was sort of sleeping in church, and the pastor was a little irritated that he was sleeping, and so he decided to try to wake him up, and uh, so he, he led the congregation in a cheer, and it was about heaven, right? And, and it sort of ended like this, you know? Everybody who wants to go to heaven, stand up right now. Well, everybody stood up and cheered, and there was one guy who was sitting down, and, and he had woken up kind of halfway in the middle of it, and so he addressed him and said, uh, Sir, I noticed you're not standing, and, and, he, and, and he said, Is there a reason why that you don't really want to go to heaven? Is that the deal? And the guy goes, Well, it's not that I don't want to go. It just sounded like you were rounding up a load right now. 
You know, and, and oftentimes when I talk with Christians and I talk with them about heaven, um, well, I guess I wrote in my notes, it's a little bit for many Christians like a honeymoon in Kansas. No offense to anybody who's from Kansas, all right? Okay, if there's any Jayhawks here, no offense. But if you could put yourself in the frame of mind, here you are, and you're proposing to your fiance, and she says yes, and you look at her and say, I have the most, I have the greatest honeymoon planned for us. It's in Kansas, and I've got Motel 6s reserved for us. You know, what might be the first two questions she would ask? Number one, why Kansas? And number two, what? Why Motel 6, right? And yet, oftentimes, when I talk with Christians and I talk with them about heaven, there's no twinkle in their eye. There's no sparkle in their eye. There's, no, there's nothing in there that says, I'm excited to go. I'm really excited to be there. In fact, sometimes what I hear from Christians is, you know, I want to go to heaven, but mostly because I'm not all that excited about the alternative. You know what I mean? Just don't want to go to hell. And they've got this idea that heaven is somehow boring and not a whole lot of fun to be there. Well, this morning, I'll have to change that because I'm going to talk to you about heaven. Last week, we talked about how to get to heaven. This week, we're going to talk about what we're going to be doing once we get up there. And I, and I hope that, that you leave with just an excitement for it. And there's a reason why I'm speaking to you first. And that is because when I'm done talking to you about heaven then we're going to get to sing about it. And I figure you'll sing a lot louder once you finally know what we're actually going to be doing up there and you can get excited about it. So would you join me in prayer as we begin? Ah, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for what you have purchased for us. Thank you so much for your word. As we open your word now, would you speak to us out of your word that we might learn and understand the truth about life after death so that we might see this life in a proper perspective and so we could come to understand a proper relationship to you in this life and in the life to come. We ask it in your name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. So last week, I talked to you about Paradise Craved, and I talked to you about the fact that deep inside the heart of every person that's ever been created is the sense of, I want to be young forever. I want to live forever. And there's this sense that there's something on the inside of us that is eternal. Instinctively and intuitively, we all know that. We don't have to be taught that. And it's so indelibly stamped into our human nature that every culture in, in recorded history has believed in life after death in some form. It just is part of who God made us to be. Now, we don't always get it right in terms of sometimes we think it's one way and sometimes another way, which is why Christ came to reveal to us what it is actually like but that eternal part of us is just part of our nature. And so we're going to go back and pick that up a little bit because I want us to go back and take a look at God's original plan for us. And, and as we look at God's original plan and then move through history, then we will see um, how heaven fits into all of that. 
So here it is. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and man became a living person. Then God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So there's God's original plan. In my notes, I wrote down the word, it was idyllic. Everything about it was. You know, even I could grow fruit in that context. You know, here's your job, Adam. I've planted a garden for you. You don't even have to plant it. I've planted a garden for you. And all you have to do is watch it and tend over it. But the interesting thing about this garden was, as you read on in the chapter, you find out that this garden didn't grow any weeds. It didn't have any thorns. There was no disease. The fruit never got old and rotted. There was no decay. Kind of makes you wonder, what did Adam have to do anyway, right? It sounded to me like the garden pretty much took care of itself. But you have to see the rest of what God had in mind. Because it wasn't just the tending of the garden in the way that you and I would think of tending of a garden. It was Adam's it was Adam's wonderful responsibility and opportunity to actually develop the garden. God planted the garden, but Adam had the opportunity to build into the garden all sorts of things that he wanted to. There were rivers that flowed through the garden. You know, we have this thing in us that likes to build, correct? I was pulling into my driveway yesterday, and here were the grandkids and some of their friends out by the road, and they were digging trenches and building dams. And they've got these little juice cans and they were making culverts and they were stacking roads over the culverts. Why? Because when it rains, you know, that's their kingdom. Yeah. That was God's original plan for you and me. That was God's original plan for Adam. Adam, here's a beautiful garden. Now do with it what you want. Build into it what you want. Organize it the way you want. Plant what you want. Eat what you want. In my notes, I wrote down, it was so idyllic, there were a million yeses and how many noes in that garden? How many noes? Only one. Friend, would you like to trade the life you have today for a life that has a million yeses and only one no? Yeah. Every day of my life I would trade for that. That was good stuff. That was really good stuff. And so that was God's original plan. How long was Adam going to live in the garden? Forever. That was God's original plan. But there was that one no. And one day, Adam and Eve decided that, you know, God says, if you eat that tree, 
your whole world is going to change and you're not going to like the way it changes. You're not going to like what it does in your life. You're not going to like what it does to your world. And they began to wonder, and they got, yes, they got a little help from the devil, but they began to wonder, wonder what that changed world would be like. And I wonder if it would actually be better or worse. And of course, Satan came along and said, it would be obviously be better. And they debated it and, and so forth. And so the, the next thing in the Bible, I mean, we're only on, like I told you last week, we're only on like page three of the Bible, Genesis chapter three. Here's the fall of man or man's fall. Take a look. When Eve, that's she, Eve, saw that the tree of knowledge of good and evil was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt what? Shame. Was it better? No, it was far worse. I came across a story and I, I dusted it off. I read it to you a couple of years ago and I want to read it to you again. Yes, it's, it's fictitious, but it so vividly demonstrates the difference between the world we live in today and the world that Adam and Eve lived in that I just described to you. So here goes. When God created the animals, He decided to begin with the dog. After forming the first dog, He said, Sit all day by the door of your house and bark at anyone who comes or walks past. For this I will give you a lifespan of 20 years. Dog thought about that for a minute and said, that's a long time to be barking. I'd prefer only 10. Is it possible I could give 10 back? God agreed. So next he created the monkey and said, entertain people and do funny tricks. Make them laugh. Be silly and crazy. For this I'll give you a lifespan of 20 years. And the monkey thought about that in a minute and said, hmm, monkey tricks for 20 years? Hmm. That's a long time to perform and do stupid stuff. If it's all the same to you, I'd sort of like to do what the dog did. Is there any way I can give 10 of those years back? God agreed. Next, he created the cow. And he said, you must go into the field with the farmer all day long and work under the sun. You are to have calves and give milk to support the farmer's family. For this, I will give you a lifespan of 60 years. Cal thought about that for a minute and said, man, that's kind of a tough life. 60 years? Hmm. You know, if it's all the same to you, I'd prefer to have only 20. So could I give 40 years back? And God agreed. Last of all, God created man and said, eat, sleep, Play and enjoy life. For this, I give you a lifespan of 20 years. Man thought about that in a minute. And he said, that sounds like a great life. And only 20 years. And then a brilliant idea hit. Now God, would it be possible for me to take my 20 and the 40 that the cow gave back and the 10 that the monkey gave back and the 10 that the dog gave back? That would be 80 in all. God said, I really don't think that's such a good idea. The man insisted, and God finally said, okay, have it your way. So that's why. 
For the first 20 years, we eat, sleep, play, and enjoy ourselves. The next 40 years, we slave in the sun to support our family. The next 10 years, we do monkey tricks and entertain our grandkids. And the last 10 years, we sit on a porch and bark at everything that goes by. There you go. You know, in my notes I wrote, look how far we fell. Yeah. So the first was God's original plan, then man's fall. Now let's take a look at God's eternal plan because God's eternal plan is pretty cool. And I want to read it to you out of Romans chapter 8, which some theologians believe is sort of the apex of all Scripture. And I had a pastor friend share that with me the other day, and I think there's, there's a great deal of truth to that. Take a look here in Romans chapter 8. All creation is waiting with excitement for God to show His children's glory completely. Now, who are God's kids? We are. And, and, and the Bible says that all of creation is waiting for God to show our complete glory. And then he goes on to say what that looks like. Against its will, all of creation was subjected to God's curse of death and decay. And I read that to you last week. That's what happened after that first sin. And Adam and Eve felt shame. And God said, okay, in my mercy, I'm not going to allow the world to go on in this sinful condition forever. I'm calling an end to it someday. So everything in this earth is going to be subject to disease and decay. And it's eventually going to die because I've got something way better for it after death. And so was subject to this curse of death and decay. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will be set free from this ruin to have the freedom and glory that belong to whom? God's children. Yeah, the freedom and glory goes on. For we know that all creation has been waiting until now in pain like a woman ready to give birth. And not only the world, and by the way, the world, he's not talking about people out in the world. He's talking about the dirt, okay? The earth, okay? I don't know how the earth waits with excitement. Someday God will let us in on that. But all creation longs for this. But we also have been waiting with pain inside us. In what way? For we have the Spirit of God as the first part of God's promise, He goes on to say, so we are waiting for God to finish making us His own children, which means our bodies will be made free. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. That's that part of us on the inside that craves to be young forever and craves to live in innocence and purity. And we all have that, and we get to experience that, the beginnings of that, when when we become Christians and God puts His Spirit in us. Now, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He has promised us. And I want you to underline the last sentence in in that passage. We were given this hope when? When we were saved. You know, back to the cardboard testimonies. Before Christ, after Christ. 
The day we decided to accept Christ, the day we said, okay, I'm through living my life my way, the day that we decided that I was going to follow Christ, the day I made that decision, then God put His Spirit in my life and He began to change me. And He began to enable me to, to experience that life change. And He began to change the problems into my life into beautiful things. He began to redeem me. Take a look at these words. They all begin with the prefix R-E. Okay? Redeem, restore, renew, regenerate, reconcile. Those are all words used throughout Scripture to talk about God's eternal plan and different aspects of God's eternal plan. And as you can see, they all begin with the word, with the prefix re, which if you looked it up in the English dictionary, it literally means again. If you renew something, you make it new again. Um, That's the idea. So here's what God says. I'm going to make it new again. I'm going to restore things to their original condition. Wow. Take a look. Paul is is speaking. I'm sorry, Peter is speaking. And Peter says, Return then and turn repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. This is him calling people to follow Christ that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ. This is not the first time that Jesus came, but this is the when Jesus is coming again, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Now, when is Jesus coming? Well, here he tells us. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to what? Restore everything. So now God's eternal plan is... Once Adam and Eve tainted his paradise, God didn't just abandon it. He said, I'm setting out on a plan to restore it to its original condition. But there's an amazing thing that we find as we read through Scripture that God's plan to restore his original creation, he throws some bonus stuff in. You know, it's a little bit like a guy who buys an antique buys an antique car, and he's going to restore it. But when he, when he gets ready to restore it, instead of putting on those old clunky uh, drum brakes, he decides, I'm going to put disc brakes on this so it stops right. On the outside, it looks the same, but on the inside, it works a whole lot better. The engine, he puts a little hopped-up engine in it too. So it's got a little bit more power than it originally had 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. He makes it actually better than it was originally, even though it looks brand new. And so the last part of the message is really God did something to make it better. I call it even better than the original. So let's take a look at at, at what we're going to do now is I read to you from Genesis chapter Two and then Genesis chapter 3. And now we're going to go forward all the way to the last two chapters of the Bible. And I wish I had the time this morning to read them, both chapters, in their completeness. But time doesn't permit that. So I've excerpted uh, a passage out of there. Let's take a look. John writes and says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea also was gone. 
And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. By the way, Revelation chapter 21 and 22, the last two chapters in your Bible, have the greatest glimpse into heaven of any passage in Scripture. That's why we went there this morning. This is about living the forever life. So what's life going to be like up there? Well, here's where he begins to to, to tune us in to what life is going to be like uh, after this life. He said, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone how long? Forever. Moving on. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making, what's the next word? Everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Friends, when God says that, it means you can take it to the bank, right? It's going to happen just like this. He goes on to say, He also said, It is finished. In other words, it's as good as done. I am the Alpha. That was the first letter in, the, in their alphabet. And the Omega. That was the last letter. And then he goes on to explain the beginning and, to, and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be what? My children. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. And nothing evil will be allowed to enter, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street, and on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse on anything, which we read about earlier, that curse of decay and death. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them forever, and they will reign forever and ever. Now there's a multitude of things in there. I want to pull just seven of them out this morning. Um, Seven things that you should know about heaven and living the forever life. And the first is that God's home is now among His people. I want you to think of something uh, for just a minute. Think about your own neighborhood, the place where you live, and how different it might be if God moved in two doors from your house. You think it would change some things? Yeah. I'd love it if God moved two doors from my house. In fact, I've got a bedroom he could have. Wouldn't it be amazing if God lived right where... He didn't just come to visit. By the way, for Adam and Eve, God came and visited them periodically. This is not, that's not what heaven's going to be like. 
God's not just going to come and visit us. What does the Bible say God's going to be doing? He's going to be living with us. Friends, that's amazing. That's truly amazing. For God to have His home and live with us and be readily available and you can walk up and visit with God anytime you want. You can talk with Him. You can go hang out with Him. And, and He's not just going to sit in His house. You know, God's going to be moving among heaven. And, and, and it's His brand new world that He's created for Him and for us. And uh, you can go on excursions with Him. Imagine that. Take a hike with God. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, you know, when you live with God... You have all this wonderful opportunity. And, and the great thing is that that's the promise that God gives to us. Not, not that we're, we're going to go and just sort of be in a corner of heaven somewhere in our own little, I don't know, whatever you've imagined or I've imagined, but that God lives among us and is with us and we get His presence every day. Here's the second thing. The second thing is all the nations will bring their glory and honor into it. One of the things that I love most about this earth is the multitude of cultures that God has created. Well, I wrote down um, dress. Isn't it interesting how the cultures dress? I find that fascinating. If you sat and you watched the opening ceremonies of the Olympics, wasn't it fun to watch the various nations and the parade of nations come in? And they've all, you know, some of them are, you know, kind of just dressed in white and everything is neat and tidy and then others are just loud colors. Man, you could see them, you know, long ways away. You know, the dress is different. The food is different. Love to eat different kinds of food. The music is different, right? Yeah, the music is different. The dance is different. The pageantry is different. You know how fascinating heaven is going to be with all of the nations there? And you know the amazing thing about every single culture and every single nation? They all represent a different part of God's personality. Imagine when the cultures are there and there's no racism, not even a hint of it. Just pure delight in being together. And the cultures are not only going to be there, they're going to bring their glory and their honor. I don't know. Maybe we'll have a day in heaven when all the Jamaicans bring a massive celebration of praise to God. That'd be kind of cool, don't you think? Yeah, and hopefully they'll serve some jerk chicken or something when, you, when, they, when they're doing that because that's a wonderful Jamaican dish. But imagine the pageantry of heaven when all the nations bring their glory and their honor into it and, and they worship God and we get caught up together in that. And some of us who are really poor at dancing can actually learn how to dance and have some fun with that and, 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 and we won't be the entertainment for everybody on the sidelines, right? Yeah, yeah, what a fun time. The glory and the honor of the nations. The third thing that John points us to is this. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter it. Nothing evil. Write down these words. Competition. Tension. 
disease, toil. underprivileged pain I'll give you one more we can, we, I, this could go on a long time right confrontation can you imagine that because nothing evil is ever allowed to enter none of those things are ever a part of our life you realize in heaven no one ever gets offended wouldn't that be amazing yeah in heaven No one ever sins. No one ever makes a mistake. No one ever has to say, I'm sorry. No one ever has to learn how to climb over an offense and forgive someone. No one ever has to pretend that that never happened. No one ever has to lick a wound. No one ever has an emotional hurt. No one ever has any of that kind of stuff. Why? Because nothing evil is ever allowed to enter there. It's perfect and wonderful protection from God. It's the home that we've all longed for. If you've ever moved into a new house or bought a new car, you know what I'm talking about. You have an old car, it's a clunker. Every time you get in it, you hope it starts, right? We've all had one of those, right? And the tires are a little bald and it makes noise and it rattles and it shakes as it goes down the road. And we're just waiting for the day when we can buy a new car. And what is it we like about the new car? Everything works, right? When you get in, it starts. When you push the brakes, it stops every time, right? Yeah, that's the idea. When you first start to turn the steering wheel, the wheels actually turn. You don't have to, you know, go a quarter of a turn before the wheels finally catch in. You know, I've had one of those before. I remember riding with a guy one time. I don't know what was wrong with his car. But when you drove it, you had to pull really hard to the left to keep the car going straight, right? Because as soon as you let go, first time I rode with him, we were teenagers, right? It was his car. It's all he had, right? We got to a right-hand turn. He said, hey, watch this. He took his hand off the steering wheel and went whoop like this. We went around the corner, and then he steered it back so we could go straight. You long for the day when you have a car where everything works. And then you get that car where everything works. And for how long does everything work? Until the first recall, right? Yeah. Because in this life, nothing ever lasts. Okay? But in the life to come, there's no sweat, there's no toil, there's no strain. For that's the way God has designed it for us. Nothing evil. Number four. The river of the water of life is there. I brought to the stage some of our nation's finest water. Okay? I have to read to you what it says on the back. It says it comes from a deep protected well in Ontario, Canada. Then it says it has been purified using reverse osmosis or distillation, and then it's been enhanced with a balance of minerals for taste. And then it says, in case you want to know what this is, you're drinking purified water, you're drinking calcium chloride, you're drinking sodium bicarbonate, and magnesium sulfate. 
There you go. Bottled water. We pay for that. Good money for that, right? I'm glad that's not flowing from the throne of God, aren't you? Yeah. What does it say? Well, the passage says that there was a river that flowed from the throne of God. Pure as crystal. Can you imagine drinking from the water of life? Last week we talked about the fountain of youth. Well, there's the fountain of life right there. It's the water that flows straight from God's throne. Wow. You and I get to drink that. Probably the closest I've ever come to that was drinking from a spring. It's in the city of Jericho, actually. Because there's only one spring in the entire city of Jericho, and you can read about it in your Bible. It was actually a poisonous spring until the prophet Elisha came to town. And the prophet Elisha, in a miracle, purified that spring, and it flows pure and free today. And uh, so when I was in Israel, I stooped down and I drank from a spring that the prophet Elisha had purified. That was pretty cool. I thought that was great. But you know, I'm sure it didn't taste anything like the water of life. It's all there. He goes on to say, number five, not only is the water of life there, but the tree of life is there. I want you to imagine with me. Now, I I brought some fruit up here. I have an apple and a cutie. Any cutie fans? Yeah, they're pretty good. Anybody like clementines? Oh, yeah, yeah, they're really good too. But, you know, when I eat this cutie later today, I'm going to take the peel off first, okay? And what am I going to do with the peel? I'm going to throw it away. Why? Because it's garbage, right? Yeah, there's probably some good stuff in it, but not for me to eat. Because everything in this earth, when I eat the apple, guess what's on the inside of the apple? Hopefully not a worm, but a core, right? Yeah. And I'll eat down to the core and I'll throw the core away because the core doesn't taste good. It's not really fun to eat. Everything in our world, well, it's tainted in some way. But I want you to imagine the fruit from the tree of life. It's so pure that it generates no... Hello, that'll get your attention. It's so pure that it generates no waste. Isn't that amazing? And when you eat it, it's so pure and so rich and, and, and so uh, undefiled that it enables your body to live forever. It is fruit from the tree of life. It's pure nourishment. Now you can take all the multivitamins you want to take. You can drink barley green till your eyeballs are green. You can eat algae. You can eat tofu. You can become a vegetarian. You can be vegan. You can do whatever else you want. But nothing you eat on this earth is going to compare to the fruit from that tree that when you eat it, it's that pure that you live forever. That's pretty cool stuff. In heaven, it's all ours. It's right there. Number six. God will shine on them. This was one of my favorite things. God will shine on them. When I think of shining, 
I think of the warmth of the sun. Can you imagine being warmed by the light that comes from God Himself? When I think of shining, I think of blessing. Can you imagine the warmth that comes in your soul when you know that God is shining on you? There's a passage in the book of Zephaniah in the Old Testament that talks about God singing songs over us. In a few minutes, we're going we're gonna to sing and we're going to worship God. But you know, the amazing thing is, in heaven, God's going to sing with us. I'm guessing at first, we'll probably just listen. What do you think? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, God will shine on us His light. And last of all, we will reign forever and ever. What are we going to reign over? Well, we're going to reign kind of the way Adam was supposed to reign over the garden. There's no weeds, there's no thorns, there's no toil. We get to construct. I wrote down in my notes, imagine creativity and construction without toil. Yeah, none of the usual problems of of that sort of thing. Imagine exploration We have this brand new world that we get to explore, the new heavens and the new earth. Imagine exploring that brand new world without danger. No danger at all, just beauty and wonder. Several of you know, or many of you know, that uh, in a month or so, I'm planning on hiking Half Dome. Um, I'm looking forward to that because of the beauty and the wonder. But I've been on the website, and I've seen some of the places on that trail. And... um, yeah, that's a serious hike and that's a serious trail. It's exploration, but there's a little danger involved in that hike. Imagine exploring heaven and there's no danger. You know if you can in your eyes. I want you to think about a world where God lives and is there. And from His throne flows the water of life. And beside that river, the tree of life. And there's the pageantry of of all the cultures and the beauty of the food of all the cultures and the music and the dance of all the cultures. And you and I are free to live and explore and to enjoy. And over it all is the warmth of God's presence and His light that lights it up. It's better than the original. Now I want to invite you it would be something would be wrong with giving a sermon about heaven and not inviting you to come and be part of it. And I know that many of us have already made that choice. But the truth is, heaven's not the automatic destination. You see, in some ways, every pastor gets to be a little bit like a travel agent. Okay? You come and you say, hey, where's this place? Where are we headed? What kind of destination can you offer? And, and pastors and Christians get the wonderful privilege of saying the destination that God has to offer us is heaven. It's all there. It's available for anyone. You go, well, what does it cost? Well, the cost has already been paid. Jesus paid the, paid the cost. What do I have to do to sign up? What you have to do to sign up is become a follower of Christ. And what, what happens when I become a follower of Christ? Not only is your destination heaven, but the trip that you get to go between now and then. It's like heaven on earth for your life gets changed and you get delivered from the things that hold you in bondage and you get delivered from destructive lifestyles and you learn how to forgive and God puts grace in your life and you, and you learn how to be gracious to other people. It's, 
It's like heaven on earth. You get a foretaste of it. But here's the catch. You don't just get that because you're a human. You get that because you're a human who's decided to follow Jesus. So I want to give you that invitation. What did it cost? We know oftentimes to restore something costs more than to make it originally, right? And guess what? You know what it cost God to make this world originally? He spoke it into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light. But you know what it took to restore it? It took the death of His one and only Son. Far more costly to restore than it was to make. So we're going to move into a portion of our service that's communion. We're going to be passing trays through the aisles and invite you to participate if you'd like to. Instructions for doing so will be on the screens. You can read those instructions. But here's what I want you to think. Two things. Number one, if you've decided to follow Christ, then before you partake and before you take the bread and eat it, before you take the cup and drink it, I want you to think about what was purchased by the body and the blood of Jesus. Because here's what Here's what Peter wrote. He said, God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. That's the barking at everybody who goes by kind of life that we all have. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So that's what that's what it cost. And so as the tracer passed, take a moment to think about what Christ purchased and what it cost him. And then you can partake. And for those who have, haven't decided yet to follow Christ, I pray that you do this morning. I know several did last week, and I would anticipate that several more would this week because that's the message of the church, and that's the message of Christ. And so a couple of things for you. On that card that says, Start Here, you're choosing to become a Christian, there's a place on there that where there's a box that you can check it. I want you to pull it out right now and check on the card uh, about becoming a Christian. And we will get in touch with you this week and we will lead you um, in those first steps of following Christ because they're exciting and they will get your life set on a, on a, on a good course that has a great destination. But also, as you partake, I want you to think that, that what Christ purchased for you and that you're now taking advantage of was only available at great cost, the cost of his life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.